Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Halal Cartels. We're still moving and grooving and doing this thing uh, as often as possible, trying to make it weekly. Uh, I just got back into town. Samira was in uh, Boston this weekend. Did the Boston thing. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. America's number one city. Beantown. <laughs> America's number one city. Yeah. Uh yeah, Beantown. That's that, what it's called, right? That's right. The town, uh, the town of the the Mick Lobster Roll. Yes, you know the one place where McDonald's really classes it up. Oh yeah. Have oh, you ever yeah. had a Mick Lobster Roll? I've never had a Mick Lobster Roll. They are. It would. They weren't in season at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You got to yeah. get them fresh off the tree. Yeah, <laughs> off the tree. Yeah. They're uh yeah, it's a summertime specialty out there. They are um surprisingly i think they're real lobster i think that's their whole thing like made with 100 percent real lobster yeah but the weird thing is they come out almost identical like uh -huh. when you see one you see them all there there's a claw on top and it's like a specific size and shape and they're basically all the exact same so i would think that they would take all the lobsters and throw them into a giant blender and make sort of like a trafe smoothie or slurry <laughs> and then you take that liquid that goo and pour it into a, a claw mold honestly that might be what they did yeah i'm not even kidding because like it doesn't make sense that it all looks the same almost like a lobster loaf <laughs> you know or like uh like how a bunt cake will be in a mold yeah yeah and it's sort of like a bunt cake mold filled with uh sea cockroaches that's absolutely insane, and I would love to try that. That's a, a great. I think you invented something on a toasted buttered roll. Mm. Yeah, we gotta send this to like Gordon Ramsay or someone. Dude, yeah, I think Guy Fieri would be into this idea. Mm -hmm. Or uh, Emerald. Yeah, the scavenger uh, loaf. Uh, yes, <laughs> scavenger loaf. Mm, Whatever happened to Emerald? You never hear about him anymore. I wonder if he got addicted to pills. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, once you reach the top uh, and you become sort of like an apex predator celebrity, what else is there to do with your life? Yeah, that's true. Even like the shitty like right-wing people love the pills. They always get hooked on the pills. Like, yeah. Remember Rush Limbaugh? He was just uh, chomping on them like Pac-Man. Big time. Chewing on the pills. He was like Elvis. He was just <laughs> like a variety of pills to keep himself alive. Yeah, well, you get one to, to pep you up, but then you're too pepped. And then you get a little edgy, and then you need something to level you off. Yeah, put you down. Yeah, up and down, sort of like a yo-yo pill diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no room for food after that. I'm stuffed <laughs> with pills. Yeah. Like Danny Bonaduce. Yeah, it doesn't matter how succulent you make that uh, Mick lobster roll. I don't have any room for it. Yeah, it's good to look at. McRibs, that's another fun thing. Uh, that you can't get them in Boston, I noticed, before noon, right? They didn't serve them for breakfast. McRibs? Yeah. Is the McRib back? The McRib is back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's another, like, congealed loaf that's just painted with, like, neon, <laughs> right? It's like a neon glaze on, like, a, a like, congealed loaf that they put together. Yeah, yeah. It looks like uh, there was an artist. I think he, he did the Craymaster series. He used to date Bjork. Yeah, Matthew Barney. I, okay, Matthew Barney's got that. All of his work's got that glazed look to it. That's <laughs> yeah. sort of, like, waxy sheen. Yeah. And uh, the McRib looks like a, a nightmare food from a uh, Matthew Barney feast. <laughs> yeah, it's that's Vaseline that he puts on everything. <laughs> it's so gross, dude. I went to 
see his uh, Guggenheim show like 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. So if anybody wants uh, a nightmare for their eyeballs, go check out some Matthew Barney um, artwork. Yeah. Or just look at images of McRib. Although that might be like a cool thing to put on a t-shirt. Like a wet looking McRib? Yeah, wear that to the club. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go somewhere where people appreciate food. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to uh, uh, New York's Restaurant Week and go to all the high-end restaurants but wear a t-shirt with uh, an image of a McRib on it. <laughs> If you wear a McRib shirt and then you were hypercritical of like a five star restaurant, you go to all the Michelin restaurants. <laughs> You're like, this is this is peasant food. This is trash. Uh huh. Or compare everything on your palate to a McRib. Yeah, this isn't like the McRib. <laughs> yeah, on the nose, uh, not quite the same uh, flavor. I'm not getting. You know, it's not hitting. It's not hitting the palate in the same way. <laughs> The McRib is umami. <laughs> the perfect balance. Oh my god! So it's it is established though. That's not ribs. I I've never had ribs, you know, because I I can't eat them. Oh yeah, it's pork. Well, but there is beef ribs. Oh, I've had those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you've never had. Oh, you've never had a a baby back rib special right. from Chile's. Exactly. Yeah. Or like I went to Fetzau and they were like, they had ribs there and stuff, but it looks like dry bark on the outside, and then there's like a bone in the inside, and yes. then it's like covered by what looks to be like succulent meat. I want to go to Fetzau right now. It's fucking delicious. And get some <laughs> non McRib, just Re- straight up regular rib. like real rib. Yes, sir. Like- I went to Sweet Greens. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah, you're like fuck this place. No McRib. Yeah, I got the shroomami. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, I think that's so important for any performers out there. If you're traveling, if you're on the move, it's so hard to get like uh, just get a salad when you're on the road. Get that fiber. Yeah, it's absolutely true though, because road food you're usually looking at fast food or something. Chicken tenders yeah. Yeah, chicken with spicy tenders. mustard, which is not bad. Actually. Yeah, or uh, or hot wings with buffalo ranch dressing. I'm kind of into that. You're too. into that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, we went when we went uh, up to where were we in uh, Portland. Uh, yeah, uh, but when we did a, a show outside of Boston in Massachusetts, oh yeah, um, <laughs> we were killing time before we got out to Western Mass, and you and I went to a, a Hooters. Oh yeah, and I'd never actually, Mass. I'd never been to Hooters to eat, you know, before that, and uh, what we got like thirty spicy wings. Yeah. And then immediately went to the Chinese massage parlor for our our, <laughs> our midday rubdowns. <laughs> yeah, had them squeeze the wings out of us. <laughs> like, I need you to help me with digestion right yeah. now. So those are two things I love to do on the road is eat uh, wings, uh, yeah. unhealthy food, and uh, get massages in the middle of the day. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, well, you got to get the massage because you're sitting on a bus or like in a car forever. And it's just a great way, especially if it's like multiple days on the road because... You know, your the hangovers, the unhealthy sleeping on a couch, the crick in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. But it's worth it sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's uh I did the show in Pennsylvania and uh they were expecting a huge crowd, but something happened in that town like the night before. Yeah. There was like a cholera epidemic. No, actually there was like a a triple shooting or something at a 
It was like teenagers. That... I was trying to keep it light with pandemic material. And then you come a in hot with like, so they'd imported dumb, dumb bullets uh, earlier that week. And there was a cartel shooting. <laughs> no, it was literally, it was a drug related shooting. Uh-huh. And these three kids died. So the whole town went to like this funeral that night. So there was a handful of people at the show. And I was like, why did I come all the way out to rural Pennsylvania to do this show? Yeah. And now there's no one here. It was entertaining like seven people. But they needed it, dude. Laughter's the mess medicine uh, in the face of tragedy like that. For sure. So I was up there and uh, it was fine. The road was fine for me this week. Um, yeah. Boston is, uh, I'm happy I'm back in New York because uh, the bars close at like midnight, I think. Uh, but the restaurants all close at 10. So you can't get anything to eat in Boston after like 10 p.m. Right. I mean, that's that was my uh, experience after the shows this weekend. It was like a desolate ghost town. It's weird because, yeah, so it's exactly what you're saying. It's the stop food service at 9 or 10. There's maybe a couple of late night spots. But, yeah, bar service shuts at 1, 1.30 usually, not yeah. even 2. Like, everyone has to be up, but absolutely has to be up by 2, but... Yeah, so, like, in New York, you know, you finish drinking, and then you can go out and get yourself, like, some pierogies or uh, some, like, uh, like Szechuan peppercorn uh, braised duck Wow, 1 a.m. Yeah, you can. You can have anything you want. You can have any, literally anything you want. You want biscuits and gravy at uh, 3 a.m., you can get them here. But, uh, well, mostly you can get halal food cart yeah. <laughs> stuff. But in Boston... It, everything closes. It sucks. I don't know if it's like a throwback to like Benjamin Franklin Puritan times, but they just like, it seems like that city hates people being awake at night and they want you to go to bed hungry. Yeah, 100%. That's actually true. What you just said is exactly true. There was um, a lot of rules instituted in order to maintain law and order. And, uh, you know, Massachusetts has a history of blue laws, puritanical laws that they maintained and kept uh, a stronghold on. So a lot of them revolve around how people consume and when people consume alcohol. One of them was Sundays you couldn't get any alcohol at all. So you just couldn't buy it all day. They finally abolished that, like, maybe like 10 years ago or something. The other thing was they made the bars close early because they didn't want people up partying at night because in their opinion that's when people make like sinful reckless decisions yeah 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 so that's why everything closes so damn early but also it's just stiff people in boston they hate the nightlife they hate nightlife out there it makes it a city that's not attractive to like um people who can get out like people are like fuck this i'll go somewhere where i can have fun and do fun things yeah, it seems like it'd be a fun city because there's so many colleges there, and yeah. so there is a there should be a youth culture, right? Um, but it did have this feeling of after we fin I, so there was a great show. I did a great show at the Rockwell, uh, run by Jay Schmitty and uh, Sam Ike, and that was it was a fantastic room. But as soon as um, the show was over, it was like the the kitchen at that establishment was already closed and. We went outside, and the only thing open were like two or three Irish pubs, with no food, and then and then just darkness in either direction in Somerville. <laughs> yeah, I fucking so I know like, that by like eleven thirty, it was it like just tumbleweeds and sadness and like drunken dudes that looked like 
Everybody looked like Matt Damon there, but like you know how when you make a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy, yeah, it degrades how, in quality every yeah. time. So oh just my like God, this is amazing, dude. A bunch of like uh, like seventh generation cloned, not quite uh, like all there. Matt Damon's stumbling around in the streets wearing a sleeveless vest, um, you know, body warmers. Uh, yeah, those tech vest things. Yeah, dude, I'm dying right now. What you're saying is absolutely real. And if anyone's ever been to Boston, I'm sure they can agree. It is those like <laughs> roughed up like gifts of Matt Damon, you know, um, uh, as people. And that's so that's the whole thing. A lot of people don't know this, but that's where I started comedy, and that's where I lived for a long time was Boston. You're a Beantown boy. Yeah, and I love how it's called Bean Town because I re- rarely ever saw beans anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like uh, I don't even remember why they call it that. I, I think feel there like was they like bean eat, factories. If they ate beans, they'd eat like off-brand beans. It'd be like navy beans. Yeah, not even they eat those um, beans that they put in like that uh, mapley sauce, or you know what I mean, like uh, that I, Swedish sauce. I know what you mean. Not Hormel chili beans, but like baked, baked beans. beans. Yes, yeah. baked sweet, beans. Sweet, sweet baked beans. Yeah, they love yeah. that. I mean, I don't know who really does because I rarely. It's like, why do they call New York the Big Apple? I fucking rarely see apples out here. There's Nobody's no out here or... like crunching on Macintosh apples in the streets. I ate one on the way here, but <laughs> but yeah, you don't see that shit around here. But yeah, in Boston, there was a a really weird world going on when I was there because. There were definitely cool people, and there was like a whole fun kind of scene of people. But like you said, the nightlife is so oppressive and so sparse after 11, 11, 30 p.m. that it was just depressing to me. It got to a point where I just would come to New York for fun. So I'd just jump on the Bolt bus or like the Fungwa at the time before it used to light on fire all the time. There was like, <laughs> the, I think that's why I got closed down, Lucky Star and Fungwa. But um, I used to come here to have fun and then go back to Boston to live like the week out in misery. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not visually stimulating or mentally stimulating there after uh, after hours. But did the daytime like I took. a So we took the Bolt bus up to or Greyhound rather up to uh, Boston. And we you know, it lets you off right in downtown in Chinatown. And we had so immediately after I got off the bus, I got some dope dim sum. You know, uh, slurped down a whole bunch of shumai dumplings and then uh, went across the street to like this little park where these open air spaces are just in Chinatowns in New York and Boston. I don't know where else, but are just uh, casinos where like ancient Chinese people gamble. Hell yeah. So it was dope. I, I just sat down in the middle of this park and watched. There were like maybe 15 um, different benches and uh, park tables. And uh, games, just hot games going where people were like, you know, it looked like they were bidding on nickels, but I know those nickels each uh, stood for like a grand. <laughs> yes, dude. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Just chain smoking old Chinese people. And then one dude with a, with a, a Jansport book bag that was going from table to table. And uh, he was trying to sell T-bone steaks uh, in vacuum sealed packages for $10 a pop. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they were decent steaks or if they were like rotten and you wouldn't know because you'd have to pop the vacuum seal and then you'd be like, oh, it smells like a foot <laughs> taken. Yeah, man. Uh, I just think it's so random to be like, this is my hustle. What's your hustle? Yo, I'm just, I sell choice cuts, prime yeah. cuts of meat uh, to gambling uh, elderly people in the middle of Chinatown. <laughs> they fell off the truck. <laughs> yeah. 
That's amazing. That fucking Jansport better have had some vacuum, or have better had some refrigeration in it, because yeah. that's going to be some funky sticks. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, I've had these for three days, just chilling in the Jansport here. Yeah, you got to put some ice packs in there. Yeah. Totally. So that was the most interesting non-comedy thing in Boston was the Chinatown in the middle of the day. When I lived there, it was pretty chaotic because there's so many meatheads there. Like Boston is a town of just sports nuts and chads that wear like those tech vests, like you just said, and they wear like salmon khakis and things like that. Yeah. And they all, they're sort of like a monolith for sure. Like they all... I almost feel like if you beat one of them up, then other ones feel it somewhere. Yeah. Like three, a mile away. Three and four guys there are named Sean. <laughs> three and four. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or Pat Sullivan the, or Sully. So there's a million Sullys. Everyone is Sully. Like, ah, oh, go ask Sully. Cause it's like their last name is Sullivan. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was tough. You couldn't go out and not look like a Chad without being harassed by Chad's. Okay. They were, they were like, have that uh, glazed over look in their eye. And like you said, they like, they looked like a re- hard a drinking. Of, yeah, hard drinking. None of it felt uh, like relaxed. Yeah. It's, an, <laughs> it's like escaping a miserable scenario, kind of. So they drink so that they can forget where they are. Sure. Now, I have a question. Uh, you moved to Boston. That's where you started comedy? Yeah. How many, when was this? 1970. <laughs> no, it was 2009. 2009, I think, is when I started. And I started at the Comedy Studio. With uh, Rick Jenkins. Yeah, Rick Jenkins. Yeah, uh-huh. he's, the, he's the best man. Like, I went there. I was interested in doing it. And then he was like, come back, check it out. He gave me a Comedy Studio notebook, which I still have at my house somewhere. And... um he was like, just write your jokes down. Just keep writing. Keep working on it. And so I did. And I would come back there and I would check out shows and stuff. And then he gave me a spot, which he does. Like, he'll, you know, see you around and then he'll give you a chance. And then if you do well, then you can get more spots. And so I just started doing spots there. The other thing I loved about Rick was he would have a camera that would shoot your set. And it was, like, stationed up in the back. So part of doing the show was that you got a tape out of it and he would give you a DVD, which was, that was like the dying age of DVDs already. Like it was beginning to DVD players were becoming less and less frequent and common in computers. Yeah. I have a DVD player now, a little external one and I yeah. use it all the time uh, because this is something I'm really scared of that. So much of the media that we consume has moved online to streaming services. And because of that, um, like we don't have analog copies of anything anymore. So I still keep all of my old DVDs and sometimes I'll even order movies uh, on DVD because they don't exist streaming. Yeah. So like an example is uh, George Romero's Martin, which I think is one of his best horror movies is uh, like no one remembers it or knows about it. They remember night of the living dead. But the thing is, is like you can't uh, stream Martin anywhere. So, like, I went and found, like, an old out-of-print DVD of it. And uh, that's why I keep DVD players. Or another movie like that is Strange Days, which is one of my favorite late 90s cyberpunk films starring Ralph Fiennes and uh, Tom Sizemore, Juliette Lewis, uh, uh, Angela Bassett. But that movie, again, 
uh, doesn't exist on any streaming platforms, and you can't buy it uh, a, a streaming version of it. No, so really. I had to go find an out of print uh, version of the DVD, which is dope though, because those are worth a lot. That's right. Yeah. So so anyway, DVD players still valuable, uh, and everybody I think should should get analog things. Yeah. Why not? I mean, if you like something, and this is what I do with vinyl. If I like something enough, I'm gonna buy it on vinyl. Yeah, you got to get that the Chubba Wubba vinyl. <laughs> Chumba Wumba. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. They used to be an anarcho punk band. You That's know that? right, and, and then they became massive with that weird song that will be played at Fenway Park or whatever. Still to this yeah, day, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Yeah, I wonder how they feel about that being an anarcho punk band. Uh, I think nobody knows their backstory and they think that they're just a one hit wonder like Smash Mouth. Right. But they're. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear what happened with Smash Mouth? No. Oh, they replaced the singer without saying anything and it's just a random like airhead guy. So it's Smash Mouth with Rome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he sucks. Uh huh. And uh, there's amazing videos. Look it up online. Just like. Uh, new Smash Mouth singer, and it's just montages of him on stage saying crazy things. It's and- like the Misfits without dancing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also dance. So, dude, one thing I did want to talk about actually, yeah, but, uh, is is what happened at the Travis Scott concert at Astro World. Did you did you see that? Uh, I saw that. Uh, so what I saw was all of this footage of people breaking in to the uh to the concert earlier in the day like 2 p.m so tons of young people just breaking through the barriers and there being one security guard trying to stop half-heartedly trying to stop like at least uh 500 people that i saw in that video just bum rush him and then uh security guards on horseback finally showed up and started repulsing these kids but at you know a fuck those guards who cares I'm not on their side ever. And uh, it was just, it seemed like so poorly planned that there would be uh, weak chinks in the armor like that for people to to get through. Just smash through. Like, have we learned nothing from Woodstock 99? Yeah, man. Yeah. So, uh, and there were like 50,000 people at the concert. Uh, A, don't go to a concert with 50,000 people. That's stupid. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And B, Anybody that would decide to design a venue, uh, an, an event for fifty thousand people, is uh, is a, a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you design something so massive? Yeah, people died. Eight people died. Sure. And what was crazy was they were doing showing montages this whole week of different bands stopping performances because someone was hurt like seeing someone in the crowd that got hurt yeah well like offspring did that at woodstock 99 yeah you know um and then uh what videos did you see so you know i saw some pretty triggering and alarming videos of people getting crushed to death at that travis scott show yeah but then there's one of the reason why i thought what if you died to a travis scott song exactly that sucks that sucks imagine if the last thing you did in your life was get crushed to death at a travis scott show yeah it's horrible and his music isn't really like that uh you know it it doesn't feel like that violent to me it's like real like uh way it's like it's a vibe 
Yeah, it's like pump so you, up music. So you're or, dying to like a vibe. Yeah, like vibey music. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there was that. Then there was videos of other uh, people and bands and stuff that were encouraging violence at their show. Sure. So it's just like a montage of these different videos. But one was Danzig. Uh-huh. And he's just like, and he routinely has someone in the crowd fuck with him because he's like five foot two. And, you know, people oh, uh, are always trying to check him. Yeah. And so he was like telling someone in the audience, like, beat that fucking guy up. Right. Wielding his five foot two power to his little Napoleon con- complex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought for a second you meant that he actually had plants in the audience who would start uh, drama with him so that he could. So it was like a theatrical thing. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but a people who follow the lead uh, never follow the lead of a celebrity on stage. It's always an act. Don't listen to what they're saying. And if you do, you're an idiot. Yeah. So I blame the audience for following the lead of um, someone on stage that tells them to like uh, start shit, break things, you know, go crazy. Anytime they're telling you to do that, it's still your responsibility to not follow orders. Exactly. Yeah. Don't. And it never amounts to anything good either. Yeah, yeah. It's never like, we went crazy and it was awesome. It's always like. We went crazy and eight people got crushed to death. What if uh, now I'm thinking about Prince and he, his lyrics like, let's go crazy, you know, or whatever. And uh, just people having like a riot at a Prince concert. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that video of Prince, Michael Jackson and James Brown? Have you ever seen that one? I have. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah. I can't believe we've never talked about that. But that, that to me is crazy. Another uh, cool video is uh, Danzig getting knocked out. Yeah. By uh, like uh, the lead singer of a hardcore band, yeah, who's like twenty years younger than him. He like punched him out on stage. Dude, he hit him. He hit him once. It was they were uh not on stage. They were in a um like a hallway, backstage, and Danzig was just you know uh, alpha mailing like puffing up his chest, and this guy just like hit him once, and it was like not just put him right to sleep. <laughs> Nyquil time. Nyquil time. <laughs> <laughs> My man caught Z's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. I like I really love the music, uh-huh. the early misfits, and I love some of the dancing stuff, but him as a person, I don't know. He's well, weird. At this Travis Scott thing, they were saying like uh there are people using the term demonic, throwing around that term, like as though, you know, he's his demonic energy is what led to this uh riot, this this mass crush. And it's like, uh, nah, man, it's not it wasn't anything spiritual that had to do with it. It was simply uh, terrible organizing of the event, you know? Right. Firefly energy. Firefly festival. Fire festival. I wonder who else played. I wonder if there was, like, a band that played that nobody had any energy for, and they just showed <laughs> <laughs> It was, like, super peaceful. They're going to use that as a montage of, no, this yeah. is a relatively peaceful event. Compare and contrast. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, they were, like, pulling people out of the um, general uh pit area into the vip section and that is also something ridiculous like i don't want to go to an event where there's a vip section and a commoner section like i if i go to a concert it's to escape from the like nonsense hierarchical world that we live in now and to like buy into this uh commoners section and a vip section is is like is acquiescing to like 
living that uh, airline um, boarding lifestyle. Like, oh, I'm a diamond member. I'm a I'm a, a gold member. I'm a silver. I'm a platinum. It's like, no, I'm, we're all getting on the same fucking tube flying through the sky, and we're all going to die eventually. <laughs> hopefully not crash this plane. But, like, I don't want to uh, – that sucks that there was, like, a VIP section. Too. Yeah, I noticed that, too. And there was, like, a huge trench in between it so that you could see the line of demarcation. But that is dorky. People who subscribe to that yeah. are – it's the people who don't realize that the word popular is strange to use after 10th grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a headline, too, that was like, Kylie Jenner, pregnant Kylie Jenner, safe after the crush. And it's like she was never in any danger because she was in a fucking little, uh, like, a little bubble. Yeah, backstage. You know, backstage. There was no problem. It was the people who were, uh, who were in the general population that, are, that were the ones at risk. Yeah. Not watching from a gated community inside of the concert. Right. Right. Where no violence could ever happen to them. Yeah. Anyone out there who feels resentful and wants to target violence, don't target the general population. Go after the VIP section. <laughs> yes. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> but you don't have to do anything we say because you shouldn't do what other people tell you to do. Anyway. Think for yourself. Don't be a fucking dumb. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. So, what have you been watching lately, dude? I've been I've been out here. Uh, I blew through uh, nar- the latest Narcos Mexico, <laughs> all ten hours of it over a weekend because uh, because I don't sleep and I I can't get enough of that stuff. But it made me think a little bit about um, just the war on drugs in the U.S. And I was listening to all these interviews and podcasts talking about how things ramped up with the DEA after uh, Kiki Camarena got uh, killed. Yeah. And he's like, he's like the star of the, the first, the character of Kiki is the star of the first season of Narcos Mexico. And Michael uh, Pena. Yeah. Michael Pena. Great actor. Amazing. Very yeah. fun. Uh, also a Scientologist, but you know, that sucks. I didn't know weird, that. Uh, weird. Right. That I hate when that happens. Such a cool, charismatic guy. Is in, it breaks my heart <laughs> in the cult, but I like him, but you know, uh, Kiki, this um, he's always portrayed as like this martyr for the DEA, and my my take is like if you're undercover and you get killed in the line of duty, yo man, you fucked around and you found out. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, uh, I have no like sympathy um for someone who lies, lives a duplicitous life, and spends all of their time trying to entrap others who are just trying to make. Uh, get by it's not to, it's it's almost like any uh soldier or cop they are um putting their lives on the line every day they're choosing to do a job where they are enacting violence uh uh that is legitimated by the state yeah but san- it's still state violence. violence yeah yeah so so they are you're not a protector or a guardian or a good person if you are a cop they're like moral i'm taking morals out of it what you are you have a license to enact violence, and uh, but all violence, I think, is illegitimate. So if you get killed in the line of enacting violence on civilians, fuck you. If you die, it's a who cares. And another thing is like, uh, it's always funny when like in movies 
when a cop or someone gets kidnapped and they're like, oh, I have a kid and a fa- I have family. I have a wife and kids. It's like, well, you're doubly selfish because you put yourself in a situation where your brains could end up on a wall and you decided to choose that life and abandon your responsibility as a father and husband. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's an understood thing, right? Yeah. Like, you could end up dead by doing this job, and could is always there. Yeah. So, if it happens, you can't say, well, this was so unexpected. What did the fuck did you think was going to happen? Yeah. And what is this? Like, I have a wife and kids. Like, who cares? Right. That's not my problem. <laughs> you, did, you did that. You did that to yourself. It's like telling me, like, I'm in debt. I'm in huge debt. I uh, so like, well, you spent the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why'd you buy so many damn Pokemon cards? Yeah, it, I, I'd be like, wow, you should feel doubly bad when things go to black because you left all these people in a lurch. Right. So if you if you decide to choose a life of uh, sanctioned violence of being an enforcer for the state, well, then fucking travel light and don't have wives and kids, dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, gotta be able to pick up your suitcase and get the fuck out of Dodge, especially you, if you're a DEA agent, because those that those families are collateral damage too. They could be picked up. They could be like fucked with. Yeah, in fact, um, the government should um, sterilize uh, cops and, <laughs> and the military so that they don't have. Uh, the liability of um, families. Well, that would just make them super mutants, though, <laughs> right? Or you, or you should volunteer. You should like that. Should be part of the job. Is like, you. <laughs> all right, you. You You're have like, to travel. I, I hereby attest that I will not procreate. Like the in Game of Thrones, those guys, the 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 unit fighters. Yeah, yeah. The that, unsullied. Yeah, the unsullied. I always wondered, like, <laughs> did they sign up for that, or did someone just go like, "Hey, we're just cutting your dick." Uh, Somebody it did up. it to him, so you know it's bad. This is a bad example. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, they trashed my dick so that I could fight better. That's yeah. confusing. But also in movies, I don't know if this is true, but it feels like uh, they probably do it. Is um, like enforcers in the in the CIA or uh, in the military you recruit orphans so that they, if you recruit someone who's an orphan early in their life and start training them from a young age, it's like they don't have uh, a family that's going to check up on them. It's easier for them to become ghosts. Wow. Yeah. And they do become ghosts for sure. Yeah. Well, and like why the last man, like the, the one of the main characters, she's like, she was uh, recruited from an orphan setting. And then also on that show, Homeland, one of the like CIA dudes who's or whatever he is, like national security guys, he also was recruited uh, out of an orphanage. I ca- you gotta love when the CIA people turn on the CIA though. Sure, like Manuel Noriega. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I used to work for you guys, but it was stupid, and now I'm just gonna go on my own and do my thing. Yeah, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Saddam, he thought uh he thought he had tacit approval from uh the United States to invade Kuwait. Yeah. You know, it was one of those things like where he's like, "So I can invade, right? Blink once if I can invade." And like, you know, Donald Rumsfeld like blinked and he's like, "Okay, cool. So I can do that." And <laughs> he didn't know that he <laughs> 
I don't think he would have done it if he didn't think he had the green light from the U.S. Oh, Cause easily. Because it wasn't like he was going to ever, like, match their military might. Yeah. Because he think was our he friend. Did, yeah. He we was gave shaking him hands the with weapons like, to fight with the, uh, Iran. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he turned around and used it on his own people, too. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. He's like, add some extras. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what am I going to do? These chemical weapons... They expire. I got to use them on something. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to keep people in line. So he's he was not a good person, but he also wasn't like um, he fucked around when he thought he had permission to do it. Right. He thought he had the green light. And then they were like, "Oop, no, not this time. And then they just beat <laughs> his ass in like three days. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was watching. um the narcos thing and then after that i fell down a rabbit hole think like looking at how el chapo got caught and um how like sean penn was yes. a, was a huge part of of him getting caught it shocks me <laughs> this day that sean penn is still alive after that absolutely you know we've talked before about this idea of a judas goat yeah which is like a kind of a sexy goat that you put a tracker on to go find the other ones yeah and sean penn uh, he went up into the mountains to do like uh, write an article for Rolling Stone and met up with uh, El Chapo. And uh, the way that the government found El Chapo at that time was because sh- they were tracking Sean Penn's phone. Yeah, they love that. They didn't. They didn't attack that night uh, because there was a, also a very famous Mexican actress who yep. was there. So the two of them, Sean and this other actress. They uh, they were like, okay, well, if we go in there and indiscriminately like shoot up this house, we're definitely gonna kill like two celebrities. So they they waited a day to like try to you know um, find Chapo. But I think that's so funny that Sean Penn's still alive. Uh, it's insane. And the thing about El Chapo was that he was seeing that actress, or he liked that actress. Yeah, I'm gonna see if I can find. He had a name, thing but... for it because Chapo had a, like a girlfriend that he was really into. Yeah, he, he he dated uh beauty pageant winners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a couple. He was he was a a ladies man. Yeah, that's what his like vice was. And that's why he consented to even talking to them cuz that actress finessed the whole thing. Uh but <clears throat> we all know that Chapo is in bed with the government. Her name was Kate Del Castillo. That's it. And she claimed Sean Penn used her as bait. Yes. To meet El Chapo. A hundred percent. And I'm surprised she's still alive, too. That's right. Uh, but the government was in cahoots with Chapo and has been in cahoots with every narco sort of regime that existed prior to that. I mean, they have to do it for their own safety and peace and stuff. They're yeah. They're not ever going to win against these guys. Well, I always feel like they're um, the narco, the heads of these narco uh, cartels are not, in fact, uh, the leaders of anything. They are management who their job is to transport things from you know point A to point B and take the money, but the money always gets funneled to like legitimate oligarchs. So I'd say the government is in fact in charge of the drug trade, not being not um being paid off by the drug trade, but actually they're the ones like benefiting from it and like run like yeah they're the ones who are actually getting the kick up. There, yeah. And then they have like a street guy that's like the face. Exactly. Like the mob. Yeah. Like 
the real person running the show is not the person that they assume it is. Right. It's the president of the country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm confused as to what happened where they're like, you know, we'll just give up Chapo. Yeah. Well, he just embarrassed them so much they needed to find a lower um, visibility figurehead. So uh, El Mayo is now in charge of uh, the um, what's left of the Sinaloa cartel. Because he uh, got plastic surgery, changed his face up, and doesn't make any wave. Just dra- walks around wearing regular people clothes. You remember uh, <laughs> what they would say about Escobar? Is he used to walk around in regular people clothes and ride the bus <laughs> so that nobody would even think it was him? That's like, funny. I, I can't imagine that. Uh, because of all the guys, he was so flamboyant in that he wanted to, he ran for president or like he ran for uh, Congress. So there's like footage of him of uh, Pablo, like, out there giving speeches, like a young Pete Buttigieg. (laughs) Yeah. But he also, very clever, was a political figure in that he would go into all these impoverished areas and he would build a soccer stadium or a soccer field and all that stuff and give away money and food and all this stuff so that he began to be seen as this Robin Hood figure. And that's what also kept him... Uh, from the authorities when he was on the run because people were looking out for him. Yeah, man, these guys are providing services where the state is not doing it. And when uh, people talk about El Chapo like escaping from uh, jail, prison, multiple times, it's like, well, all the guards were underpaid. So him showing up at that prison was he could pay all the guards so they could provide for their families. Medical treatment isn't provided in those jails either. So anybody who was sick could come up to him and be like, hey, man, I need to get insulin for my diabetes or I need to get a checkup because I've got this persistent cough. So he was able to um, nobody wanted to hurt him because he's like the only he's the supplement that's like paying for everything. That's that was something the latest uh, season of Narcos brought up with the police, you know, and a cab forget all the cops, but. They uh, severely defunded the police in Juarez, where like the average cop made $150 a week, or yeah, rather than where I don't know what the budget they should have. Your expenses are like, let's say, two grand a month. But if you're making $150 a week, you know, you got to find, yeah, how the hell are you going to do that? You got to, you got to have side hustles, man. You know, that's like when we here in the United States, yeah, you need supplemental income to survive just to get by. Yeah. Teachers only fans. I wonder what they're teaching on there. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, there's nothing sexy about this only fans. This is actually extra (laughs) math help. (laughs) I'm a big fan of my math teacher. My parents have a subscription to their only fans. I get extra tutoring videos in algebra. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's such a good idea. And things haven't really calmed down either. I think in 2018, 32,000 murders still in uh, Mexico, um, drug-related. And uh, a lot of those murders were committed with guns that were purchased, that were manufactured here in the U.S. Yeah. So And shipped right down there, NAFTA yeah. style. Yeah. So uh, NAFTA, also a big problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another afternoon fucking that ass. So we're responsible, and I watch all of these, um, or the United States is, and I and watching Narcos, I just fast forward through all the parts with the DEA, or whenever there's like I just because it's like the, propaganda. Yeah, it's and and the Americans are. I just keep thinking of them as um, almost like 
I don't want to say Nazis, but I do because they're like professional soldiers who are a branch of like empire or like colonizing. Like they have no, the American DEA has no um, jurisdiction in another sovereign country. And yet uh, these shows uh, portray like white American dudes uh, going and just kicking a hornet's nest and like accelerating and amplifying violence uh, that only hurts citizens of Mexico. Like they don't have a, a skin in the game. Like Kiki Camarena, fuck that guy. He had no skin in the game. He goes to Mexico, kicks the hornet's nest, and he got what was coming to him. And like that's what I wish happened to all the DEA agents down there. <laughs> <laughs> why are you there, dude? Like why are you a colonist? And like a, a, an appendage of empire and military exacting violence on Mexican people to serve a misguided sense of morality around who should and shouldn't use drugs. Like that's your personal choice. Right. And like if we get upset at the cartels chopping people up and putting them in oil drums, well, they wouldn't be doing that if drugs were legal. Right. There wouldn't be an incentive. You know, nobody's. T- I t- They'll just I, open a factory. Yeah. And be like, all right. If you made aspirin illegal right now, or like Child's Tylenol or Tylenol PM, if, if we made that illegal right now, there would be cartels right now chopping people up and putting them in oil drums to like <laughs> to make, service to make the Tylenol <laughs> to service the needs of of parents with kids who were like, I need my kid to have a child's Tylenol. <laughs> if you made Flintstones vitamins illegal right now, dude, there would be cartels servicing those needs. It's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> I mean, if if it was made illegal, too, they could just migrate to making it in a factory rather than, like, making coke in, like, a jungle. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. those, like, crazy coke labs in the jungle are insane, and they're just super clandestine, and, like, the process at which... The painstaking process at which coke is even made uh i'd say that those processing plants in the jungle are like super organic <laughs> they are technically it, but they use like f- gasoline <laughs> it's real farm to table <laughs> they use like harmful chemicals and gasoline <laughs> nothing <laughs> turned me off from coke carter than seeing how it was actually made and i was like oh what <laughs> this i thought it was some leaves they ground up that's not cool no it's like mad max go-go juice <laughs> like, we're gonna take like... this gasoline and this diesel <laughs> yes. this uh uh nail polish remover yeah exactly and then they're like ah there we go the cream is rising to the top mm-hmm. and it's just like ah i can't believe i'm snorting gasoline yeah yeah but so yeah nobody do the coke um, but you know, uh, also don't, don't spend your tax dollars to the, it is our tax dollars that cause, uh, the murders, create the brutality, and then also lead, um, to all of this adulteration. So like we've got Fent, Fent in the Coke up here, yep. uh, people yep. dying, you know, I know so many people and artists and brilliant people that have, that have passed away from one bad line. And all of that is a result of our war on drugs. Uh, stigmatize working uh, in the law enforcement. That's for sure. Like, it used to be this shame them propaganda <laughs> that they would pump up towards kids. Like, don't you want to be a cop when you grow up? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to do that? Yeah. 
they li- they make the world worse. They don't make it better. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. On a grand scheme, on the grand scheme of things, they definitely. Yeah. I've never dealt with them when they've done anything good. Mm-hmm. They're whenever my friend's car got stolen and it was it was absolutely insane because all they were trying to do was pass the buck on to someone else to deal with it. And then in the end they did nothing. And Word. it was a game with them. They were like, "All right, uh, now that you're here at the police station, go back to where the car was stolen and call 911." What? <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone talk about this the other day too. It happened to them. Their motorcycle got stolen and that exact same thing happened to them. You have to walk down to the precinct, then they tell you to go back to where you were and call 911. Even though when you call the precinct, they tell you to come down. And then they when they tell you like, "Oh, why are you here?" You're like, "You told me to come here." And then they have like a shitty smile on their face and they're like oh yeah well i don't know who said that go back to where you were and call 911 the fuck yeah i don't know if they solve any crimes i don't think they do <laughs> they're like the cops from the big lebowski where they go like yeah we'll get our best guys on it <laughs> <laughs> what else is going on in the news we got more satellites in space yeah amazon's about to launch 10 billion dollars worth of satellites into space as if there isn't already space junk the only thing I can think about that is they're going to launch 4,500 satellites into space. And uh, how the fuck is there that much room in outer space for 4,500 more satellites? How are they not just, how is it not con- a line of satellites? Is there blocking a way the sun? to clean up space? <laughs> 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 is there like a giant net? Someone is building amazing to clean up the space junk that we keep uh, shooting into orbit. I would love it if because the way they do this is like who has jurisdiction over space. So like you can't really tell them whether or not they can do this. Yeah. So it would be amazing if as a prank, someone shot a huge net up there, collected all of these satellites and then just took them down. Yeah. (laughs) Like, hey, sorry, guys. Go fuck yourself. There's no jurisdiction up there. Also, how long do satellites uh, last? Do they have like a lifespan where after a while they become obsolete? Because they don't come down yeah. after that. How do they recharge the battery? Well, I think it's solar. Uh-huh. They have those solar panels on them or something. But sure. I don't know. I, but space junk does routinely fall into the atmosphere and then just like come careening down to Earth. So yeah. I expect just random satellites to drop at random places, Donnie Darko style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too worried about satellites, but did you have concerns over the fact that these satellites have been shot up by Amazon? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, they're saying that they're trying to hook up the underserved people of the world with internet so that they can enter the digital age or whatever okay so like how facebook is like the is the google of the philippines exactly which is also really weird yeah uh but yeah that's basically what they're trying to do they're trying to compete for that so that they can actually make people in underserved countries amazon customers but i feel like it also is bizarre for how they'll have access to a topographical picture of the world at all times so they can see what's going on in other countries. They can keep an eye on whatever. There's just this, we're dangling on the precipice of these tech companies trying to act like their own little mini governments. And they're global, right? So they have relationships with every world power. 
Yes. And even ones that the United States government might not be talking to or might not have a good relationship. North Korea. Amazon Prime. (laughs) 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 They need Amazon food in North Korea right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's no food there, man. Sad. It's very sad, yeah. Amazon Somalia. Yeah, Amazon Somalia. Oh, I would love it if Somalians were hijacking the Amazon satellites. Dude, Somalian space pirates? (laughs) Yes, dude. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) They take like a homemade rocket up into space. Start stealing these satellites. I'm your I captain now. I am waiting for space pirates. Sam. That sounds amazing. Uh, Definitely like rogue nations flying their own uh, little mini uh, ships up and taking over these satellites. I love it. And the space station. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're up here. Come get us. <laughs> Can we unlock ten billion dollars in funding to go get these space pirates? I don't know. I don't know what to say about them controlling Amazon, controlling us from space. I've been thinking about how we're going to be controlled uh, through vaccine passports. Oh yeah. So once you get your okay, so this is an idea that I was kind of a fan of um, back in the day. Like, what if you could get a, a microchip? put in you that actually did have your medical record on it so like let's say you had a seizure or a heart attack or something like that and uh you go to a doc and the doctors who pick you up can just scan the chip and there's a whole history of like everywhere you've gone uh all of your checkups da, da, da. so you don't actually have to talk to a doctor yeah it's like carfax they can just figure out everything about you that sounds great the problem is uh, that that can also be tied to your bank account, your employment history. There is this fear I have now where like just how these satellites can map the entire terrain of the earth uh, in real time. Um, your entire uh, history and bio records will soon be uh, all digital. Yeah, they are. They're in the process of being integrated integrated the chip thing that you're talking about is what QAnon types are afraid of with 5g <laughs> <laughs> like, so uh-huh. that that's been thought of i'm there. on team quizno i think i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming quizno. i think i'm becoming a cubert <laughs> <laughs> quizno anon would be amazing <laughs> the sandwich conspiracy yeah Oh my god, I think I'm dead. That's amazing. <laughs> uh yeah, I think this is very dangerous all this stuff because it's everything is hackable. So this whole HIPAA compliance thing is great and all until it gets hacked and it's going to be hacked. There's no fucking way. If it can exist virtually in digital in the digital world, then someone can have access to it. Yeah, man. It's just like uh, people airdropping you dick pics when you're on the subway. People can just like... <laughs> oh, I love that. I've heard of that, too. I yeah. heard people do that. How do you stop someone from doing that, too? Because <laughs> everyone's on their phone. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you're just getting dick pics like yeah. thrown up on your screen. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> 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 uh, you got to find an insane picture and try that on the train. <laughs> So if that can happen, then someone can harvest your credit score and your curricula vita and your health score. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're headed soon, is a completely seamless Apple Pay, touchless world of information. Gattaca, baby. Gattaca. Yeah. Retina scan, and that's it. Social credit and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To end things on a bleak note. <laughs> uh, we'll yeah. keep an eye on these things. We will. Man. We'll update as they as they progress. This has been this has been a, another fun episode of of Halal Cartels. Yeah, I had a great time, man. Man, I did too. I I'm what I'm interested in though is hearing what uh, you, the listener, want us to talk about. So, uh, definitely shoot us messages on Twitter or. At our personal Instagrams, uh, mine is Gabe Pack One, G A B E P A C One, and I'm Samirmon at S A M E E R M O N. And or you could email us at hello cartels at Gmail, or see us live. Honestly, uh, we do a show every Wednesday at Pete's Candy Store in Williamsburg at 10 p.m. And um, you've got Big Break at the Nest. That's right. Big break at the nest. What is that? Every second and fourth? It's every uh first and you're right. You're right. It's every second and fourth. So the next one we have is gonna be November 13th at uh 8:30, and then November 27th at 8:30. Hell yeah, check it out. It's a great show. Hell yeah. And um right now you are gonna listen to the smooth sounds of Serene Patel brown privilege leading us out of this peace y'all ciao